0: Up comes to Danico, shot! Well, these face-offs. Back to the blue line. Danico, a shot, and it got in. Hey, Devils fans, this is Ken Danico, and you're on Locked on Devils with Trey Matthews. You're Locked On Devils, your daily podcast on the New Jersey Devils, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.
1: Hi, this is Bryce Salvador, and you're Locked On Devils. With the Trey Matthews. Elias yeah, scores. Oh, Steven stepped up, nailed it. got the puck. What a shot! All righty now what is up New Jersey welcome back to the locked on Devils podcast here on locked on network I'm your host college hockey play-by-play announcer Dell's right for pucks and pitchforks and also part-time credential media member Trey Matthews joining me on today's special episode is a player who played his entire 20-year career with the Devils organization holds the franchise record for most games played and also penalty minutes a three-time Stanley Cup champion mm-hmm. as his number retired at the Prudential Center a member of the Ukrainian Sports Hall of Fame, and is also Bill Spaulding's color commentator on MSG. It's Mr. Devil himself, Ken Danico. Dano, I had one of your teammates, Bruce Driver, on this show back in February, and now it's great to have you on. How are you doing? The season will be here before we know it. Uh, I'm
0: doing great, Trey. Good to be on with you. And yeah, you had the great Bruja, a longtime teammate and friend and... uh uh Love the Bruja. He's what it was all about when we started (laughs) way back when, when we went through some of the lean years, but uh, good to be here.
1: Well, let's get right into it. I know you're a busy man. I listened to your appearance on Spitting Chicklets and you shared a story in which you said that you would go around your house and school saying that you would one day reach the NHL growing up in Edmonton, Alberta. (laughs) Where did hockey begin for you?
0: Well, I've told many people and I'm sure a lot of other players growing up in Canada will say the same where uh, if you didn't have skates on coming out of your mother's womb, you really had nothing to do where I grew up. It was cold. There was a lot of outdoor rinks and ponds. And uh, right from an early age, I had a passion to play the game of hockey. It was my everything. Didn't matter how cold it was out there. My mother would have to get my dad or my brother to come drag me off the ice for dinner even in freezing temperatures i just i just love to be on the ice and and the outdoor rinks uh, in my early years seven eight nine years old all
1: right so you were selected 18th overall by the devils in the 1982 nhl draft in fact you were the second pick ever in team history a lot of people may not know this but new jersey didn't even have a team name established at the time Mm -hmm. Before we talk about the beginning of your NHL career what was the process like of getting your name out there in the first place while playing in the WHL and also the uh, junior hockey in Alberta
0: yeah well I, I played in western the western hockey league at the time and I, I actually started in Spokane the Spokane Flyers when I was 16 years old so I entered uh, the tier one junior league the, the league where you you get drafted out of a lot of, a lot of the time or college, whatever it may be. But uh, major junior hockey was well, back in the early eighties, the route to go because you got a little more recognition at the time. And, and that's changed uh, quite a bit in today's day and age, but ha- not that there's not a ton of junior players drafted, but it's college. It's all over the world now. And back then uh, the major junior route to got you noticed a little bit more and I was able to play at a young age, but we folded the team folded a year and a half in. So I played a year and a half in Spokane 16 and then half year when I had turned 17 and they had a dispersal draft right around Christmas when the team folded, and I went to Seattle. So yes, it was the Western hockey league, but there was teams in the States as well. And I was one of those guys that played way out West in Seattle and um where I eventually ended up being drafted by the Devils. Uh, you're right. They didn't have a team name at the time. And I I, I tell many people, I, I, you relied on one scout uh, that would follow you around and go back uh, to management and say, this is our guy. This is the guy uh, I want to pick. And, in fact, uh, there was a scout named Bert Marshall who had followed me around, apparently, and in, in what I'd heard from Bert is in a beat-up old Winnebago because those guys – put on a lot of miles and traveled around just to find certain players and go back to their organization and say, this is the guy, this is our guy. I want to draft him. And and you had to get management to believe that uh, and have enough trust and faith in you as a scout that this is your guy. And Bert had watched me for a couple weeks and at the start of the playoffs when I was playing for the Seattle Breakers in the Western Hockey League and came back to Jersey and told them, uh, I've followed him around a couple of weeks. I, I feel, I know his character and his heart and I was playing pretty well at the time. He says, if he's available at 18, the second pick in the first round, the first year of devil's existence, he said, um, I, I want to take this guy. I believe he's going to play double digit years for you. And Bert told me of this whole story. Cause I only had hearsay, uh, way after my career was over. And the devil said uh, to him at the time, really, we're not going to take Danico. We don't know enough about him. He's not ranked there. They had rankings. I wasn't ranked to go in the first round. And I understood that. I didn't believe I was going to go there uh, that high anyway. And Bert, uh, you know, kept pushing, kept pushing and said, take this guy. He will play a long time for you. And and, uh, the devil's uh, management had said to Bert, are you willing to put your job on the line? And Bert, uh, you know, that that's what it took back then. There was no internet. You didn't know much about these players. It was all the eye test, where nowadays they know what you eat, what you sleep, when you sleep, shall I say, what you drink, what you're doing with your life, whatever it may be. It was just uh, talking to them a little bit after a game, whether you're playing junior college, whatever it may be, and and just going back to your organization and watching uh, what you're all about and going back to the organization and telling them and, And Bert says, looked them in the eye and he said, uh, uh, I'm willing to put my job on the line. And he told me this story, which I didn't know the extent of it. Back in 2013, I hadn't seen him for a long, long time. And I went up to him, gave him a big hug and said, thanks Bert for believing me. Uh, You know, it means the world because if you didn't believe me, who knows what would have transpired. And um, you, you went out on a limb for, for a young buck from Western Canada that wasn't ranked where, the devils ended up picking me at 18, but he said, yeah, Kenny, I did look them in the eye and I told him I'm going to, I'll put my job on the line. I believe in him that much. He's going to play a long time for you. Uh, And he said, you made me proud. And I said, Bert, uh, uh, thank you so much because uh, uh, without your belief, I mean, who knows what would have happened, but he says, well, Kenny, you ended up playing over 1400 games, including playoffs. So he says, I'm still scouting. To this day, he was scouting for the Carolina Hurricanes when I saw him in 2013, at the time he's retired since then, uh, when I saw him at the Prudential Center at the draft. And he says, I'm still scouting because of um, uh, me picking you back then when I went out And we laughed about it and chuckled, you always do. But in reality, I, I was just so grateful. And uh, I never underestimate the work that goes into trying to pick players and, and throughout the organization and certainly the scouting staff. But in particular back then, because they really had to had to convince the organization, this was the guy, if you were you know, a, a, a can't-miss prospect or player that's going top three, whatever it may be. But uh, he really pushed for me to go 18, and I wasn't ranked there. And the rest is history, but uh, I never take that for granted. I, I was so grateful to Burt Marshall.
1: And 20 years later, resulted in three Stanley Cups, and now, once again, you're still with the organization as Bill Spaulding's collar commentator. But uh, I want to talk about your game a little bit more because you one time described yourself as not the most skilled hockey player, but you still did your job in order to help the team win. So I'm curious, how did you learn to balance uh, out being an overly aggressive player, but at the same time, not being a liability on the rink? Where'd you find that middle ground?
0: Well, first off, I mean, everybody coming out of junior has, uh, you know, offensive ability as defenseman. I, I, I mean, I was no different. I was, which, it, it's hard to believe when you you end up finding a role and if you even get the opportunity to make the National Hockey League and and play for a team. I mean, I, I was a seventy-point guy my last year in juniors. Yes, I had the physicality; that was a big part of it. Um, but to trans and. and you know, I did a little bit of everything back in junior. And uh, you got to find an, uh, a niche. You have to find something that's going to keep you around. And yes, I was going to get recognized because of my physicality, because I, I couldn't quite be that offensive guy. Even though early on in my career, I started as a 19-year-old. I was getting some second power play unit time because I came out of uh, the Western League as kind of an all-around player. That was the, you know, the... the mo on me so i say was he's tough he's a he's an all-around player but a lot of junior kids are that whether they're forwards whether they're defensemen um but to go to the best league in the world it's hard to do what you did in junior and and the biggest thing is to understand uh, find something that's going to define you that's gonna give you a role and and i was gonna make a name for myself being a tough player being physical sticking up for teammates being a real good penalty killer, good defensively. And that's kind of how it transpired. But I always tell everybody, Lou Lamorello kind of defined that because you see so many players, and I'd already played three, four years before Lou came to the organization. But without the speech that he gave me about the orchestra, and I've told it a million times, and everybody knows it where, you know, he'd give me the orchestra speech. Speaking of Bruce Driver, he was the second power play unit guy and he was injured and uh, for for a few games and I was actually getting on the second power play unit even with Lou his first year and I got four points in four games and I was all excited because you always want to do more you always want to have a bigger impact Bruce came back I got off the power play and I was a little disappointed I wore my emotion on my sleeve and Lou had asked me to come to his office he knew exactly why I was disappointed because Bruce came back and I wasn't on the power play and or the second power play unit anymore and He goes, Kenny, uh, sit down. I liken my team to an orchestra. He says, there's violinists, there's pianists, there's drummers. What category do you think you fall in there? And so many Devils fans, every Devils fan, I believe, has heard this story. But since you're asking me, that was a key moment for me. And he was telling me I was a drummer. And he made sure that I understood. I was a penalty killer. I was a physical player. I was a guy that blocked shots. I was a guy that did the, the dirty work in the trenches. But... We always wanted to do more, and I saw so many players, guys that I played junior against, you know, have a cup of coffee in the National Hockey League that were so talented, so much more skilled than me and junior maybe, but didn't play long because, and now I understood why after my career was over that they didn't define their role, and you have to get a, define your role. And as mad as I was at Lou and, and we went back and forth, I I took it to heart he didn't care if I ever scored a goal he he was kind of liking me to an offensive lineman I had a role and if we're going to make beautiful music I got to play that drum to a T. and he told me I'd play it a long time if I if I master that drum and and he was certainly right but I took that you know it's nice to have a a, you know when you're a young kid you're full of energy and passion and want to do everything but Lou kind of you know, made sure I understood what was going to make me successful and what more importantly, what was going to help the team uh, win. And uh, sure enough, uh, uh, it's exactly what happened. I was able to stay in one organization. Like I said, I didn't want it other way. I loved, loved New Jersey. I, we weren't a good team until Lou got here. We were starting to get better just before him. and, And, you know, he had a vision and, and, and the architect of our, our team starting to get better, but um, I just knew, you know, if he says it, I got to listen. Don't try to do too much. Try to do what you're capable of, and it worked out, like I said, pretty good, but because of that speech, it really defined what my role was, what he expected of me, and like I said, uh, yeah, anytime you score a goal, your team gets pumped up. It's an unexpected guy to score or make an offensive play, but um he didn't care if I ever scored it was more about making sure I'm doing what I'm supposed to do so that I'm not trying to do too much offensively which would take away from what uh what was going to make me successful and help the team win and that was like I said protect teammates play tough and and I had to fight a lot the first five years and I enjoyed that part of the game believe me and once I made room for myself then I was able to you know, get get some respect and reputation and, you know, didn't have to do it as much. I developed my game that I, you know, become a, a shutdown defenseman against some top players in, in the National Hockey League. And, and that meant the world to me. That was my challenge every night. My job in the heart of my career was uh, to make sure the Maryland News and Wayne Gretzky's didn't kill us every night or the Messias as far as offensively. And I took took a lot of pride in that.
1: There's still more in store with Ken Danico, but before we continue, I wanna tell you guys about a product I use literally every day. So I started taking AG1 because I wanted to be happier, I wanted to be healthier. My body's a temple, so I gotta start treating it as such. I drink AG1 before a workout, before I record an episode, before I have long car rides, because once again, it gives me the energy that I need and it is super healthy. AG1 is a foundational nutrient supplement that delivers comprehensive nutrients to support whole body health AG1 replaces your multivitamin, probiotic, and more in one simple drinkable habit. Science-driven formulation of vitamins, probiotics, and whole food source nutrients, AG1 is raising the standard for quality in the supplement category. AG1 helps build your health foundation first. So if a comprehensive solution is what you need for your supplemental routine, then give AG1 a try. Get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 Travel Packs with your first purchase, go to drinkag1.com slash NHL Network. That's drinkag1.com slash NHL Network. Check it out. Okay, let's get back to our conversation with Mr. Devil. Take it away once again. So let's talk about humble beginnings for the Devil's organization because I'm I'm curious to know, what was it like trying to establish an identity uh, for this newly formed team in New Jersey? Because Uh, Like you said early on in the episode, you didn't even know where New Jersey was located when you were first drafted. Yeah, well,
0: look, we weren't a very good team. I mean, coming over from Colorado Rockies, it was uh, the team. The organization was a little bit of disarray to say the least. Didn't have a, a ton of really good players Had some good veterans that really taught our young guys a lot Phil Russell's the Don Levers the Peter McNabb's God rest his soul uh, Rich Preston I could go on down the list but we Aaron Broughton he was a younger player at the time but went on to have a, a good career with us and and all these guys really helped the the young players uh, we were trying to establish something we were winning 17 games a year but it was the Mullers McLean's Verbeek's Joe Sorella Bruce Driver myself uh, Wallenin came along, and then Sean Burke. When we became better, but uh, those guys really guided us and showed us what it was going to take to to be pros, to play in the National Hockey League. But but yeah, we weren't good. And then, but uh, all of us, a lot of us, young guys, and, and myself included. I mean, I always used to say we're going to become something someday. I I just wanted to be part of the solution. We all did. We all wanted to say, just watch. One day, we are going to be. Uh, a team to be reckoned with. People used to probably laugh at us. uh, Media and hockey world is included. And then when we were able to turn the corner in 88 and under Lou Lamorello's guidance, uh, uh, become a team that, uh, you know, made the playoffs and won a few rounds and one game away from the Stanley Cup finals, our first time around in the playoffs. Then I knew that, uh, yeah, uh, these lean years were all worth it uh, because we had a good young core. Yeah, Lou had to trade some of those guys along the way to mold the team to his liking. And I was just grateful, certainly, that I wasn't one of those guys traded because uh, this was the team that gave my chance. It may sound corny at times, but uh, that's the way I was as a kid. I, I, I wanted to be a building block for a team that uh, I didn't want to go anywhere else. I didn't care how bad we were in the early years. I, I was of the belief that we are going to turn the corner and I want to
1: be a part of that. And you said that you guys were made fun of a lot by some of your peers and it took a while to uh, gain the respect. And it kind of leads into my next question. So after losing to the Edmonton Oilers one time, 13 to four in 1983, uh, a player that you mentioned, the great one, Wayne Gretzky described the organization as a quote unquote Mickey mouse organization. It took some time, like you said, but the Devils later became a consistent playoff team. What was it like getting a taste of the playoffs the first few times you went? Yeah, well,
0: as far as the Gretzky comment, I and I'm, I'm friends with Gretz. I, I love him, uh, the face of our our game, really. I mean, he was right at the time, and he felt bad for the, his friend and uh, buddy Ron Low, who. He, played with in Edmonton uh, that night. So I was out with a broken leg that night. So I joke, we lost 13, four. If I was in, we would have only lost seven to four. That's my, my, (laughs) knocked uh, knocked your heads
1: off or something like that. that,
0: That's what I believe in my mind anyway. But yeah, I mean, I I know people and fans weren't too happy about the comments from, from Gretz at the time, but uh, yeah, we weren't good. That was the reality. And, it motivated us, you hope, and, and that's what it does. And and then we became that team in 88 that we talked about, the run, and and which was a defining moment for the organization. Missed the playoffs the following year, so it's it, that's how hard it is to win in this league. But then we continually made the playoffs until we won the Cup in, in 95. And, and obviously, um, we knew we were getting better. I mean, it was just, we celebrated in 88 like we had won the Stanley Cup, winning the last game in overtime against Chicago, on Johnny Mac's, uh, overtime goal. And, and we were just a bunch of young rock kids that, you know, were so emotional because that was kind of like, I, I mentioned the defining moment where we went, we did it. We are finally in the playoffs. We're finally playing meaningful hockey games. And that's what we strive to to do all along, all the young core. And, and we got there and now you always think it's going to be easy along the way. And we a uh, hard dose of reality the following year we missed the playoffs, uh, but sometimes you got to take a step, one step back to take two steps forward, and we did that and continually made the playoffs like I said, after missing at an 89, and, and to hoist that cup in 95, and to go through those tough times, and um, uh, it, it was amazing, I mean I thought we'd get there quicker, but it just shows you uh, how uh, how hard it is to, to win the Stanley Cup, how hard it is just to make the playoffs, so There was nothing like it to watch the fans and and really put hockey in New Jersey on the map, uh, winning the ultimate prize. The Stanley Cup in 95 was nothing short of remarkable and words can't describe it.
1: So I actually spoke with uh, Bruce about the 1995 championship. Uh, You guys were heavy underdogs throughout the playoffs, but were able to prevail against the heavily favored Detroit Red Wings and win the first Stanley Cup in Devils history. What was the feeling like of being a part of the first ever devil Stanley cup roster?
0: Well, yeah, like I said, I, I mean, even more gratifying for, you know, we had took a picture in the Nets locker room and the New Jersey Nets at the time uh, played at the arena as well. Me, Bruce and Johnny McClain, we'd all played double digit years with the organization. So we kind of snuck away and and took a picture with the cup, the three of us holding it over our head, just kind of uh, have our little moment because we'd been the longest tenured devils at the time and uh, that had been through the thick and thin of things. And it just made it that much more gratifying to to go through those, those tough years. And that 95 team had so much character. So, you know, it really was an incredible feeling. That team was tough. That team was Just a bunch of guys that worked hard, wanted it bad. Yeah, we were huge underdogs to the Red Wings, rightfully so. They were loaded with talent, but we weren't underdogs in our dressing room. It was just the outside noise. Uh, People forgot the year before we were second in the National Hockey League in points to the New York Rangers, who won the President's Trophy. And and, um, and then we lost that epic seven-game series in double overtime, so – even though we didn't have it was a shortened season, we didn't have a particularly great year. Kind of went in the playoffs, I, I think, as a fifth seed. But we we knew how to turn the switch on. We were just waiting for the playoffs because we had unfinished business because we felt we were going to win the cup in ninety four as well if uh, if we would have uh, beaten the Rangers because we were the two best teams in ninety four. So ninety five kind of it fell, we fell under the radar, which was maybe a good thing, and uh, people took us for granted. But we had the same core that it was hungry and and knew what it took and learned some lessons and experience. That's what experience means in the playoffs is you got to go through tough losses sometimes before you climb the mountaintop. And we went through that incredible series, which was great series, even though we lost in 94, but that was our, our learning curve. And then we won the next season. So it was amazing.
1: So uh, the devils were controversial because a lot of people were saying that you guys ran a, trap defense and it made the games less exciting however Bruce told me that the word trap wasn't in your guys's dictionary how would you respond to the naysayer stating that the trap defense made the game deteriorating oh well, I've
0: talked about it too much it's um it's ridiculous really I mean you play to win Jacques Lemaire played on the flying Frenchman it came from the Montreal Canadian system how to defend how to cut the Ice in half. Um, and, and then I always go. Yeah, we never heard the word trap. That was made by the by the media. Um, obviously, Jacques never mentioned trap. It was be responsible defensively, cut the ice in half, um, make sure before you pinch one hundred percent that you're going to get the puck. So and then counterattack. attack. And um, Jacques played in, with the Montreal Canadiens, the great Canadian teams that were winning all these cups. That had a ton of skill. Our team had a ton of skill. What people don't realize is we scored a ton of goals. We were always near the top of the league in goals four. We just so balanced out, but nobody mentions that. It was they think we played a defensive system that didn't score a lot. That was opposite. If you looked into after Lemare had left, even and everybody talks about uh, the trap in the nineties, late nineties, early two thousands. 2000 when we won the Stanley Cup, we're second in the league in goals for 2001 when we lost to Colorado, I believe we were number one in the National Hockey League. Nobody brings that up number one in the league during the regular season in goals for. So like I said, they kept, you know, kept the narrative along the way, but it had changed. But yes, ask any team today defense wins championships, goaltending, good structure. Ask the Vegas Golden Knights, I mean, this year. That hasn't changed. you got to be able to defend, um, and, and we were great at it. So the only thing is it took away from how balanced our four lines were. We had so many good players. Our fourth line, Randy McKay, Bobby Holik, Mike Peluso in 95. McKay had eight goals in the Stanley Cup playoffs. I don't know what Bobby had, but he had six or so in double-digit points, and Peluso scored a couple of goals meaning, and provided the toughness. So, like I said, we did whatever it took to win, but I have all respect in the world for Jacques Lemaire, Larry Robinson, because these guys knew what they were doing. They had enough rings, didn't have enough fingers for the rings they put on their hands, and uh, they implemented a good structure, and you buy in, And but we did score a lot of goals. That's the only difference. I mean, I'll, I'll finish with this, and I'm kind of going on a little bit, the Los Angeles Kings, when they beat the New Jersey Devils in 2012, were the lowest scoring team in the National Hockey League. I've never heard anything about defensive hockey back then when they won the Cup. God bless them. They won it. Jonathan Quick was unbelievable, but they were near the bottom. I think I don't know if it's Zach Lewis, but if you look up the stats, they were an eighth seed who won because they could play defense. They played a good structured game and had great goaltending. And... You know, you never hear about, oh, that's boring. They played too defensive. They were, like I said, near the bottom of the league, goals for during the regular season. So whatever your team is, whatever your team has, you have to play to an identity to win, whether it's back 30 years ago, whether it's today. And yeah, today's Devils are fast, hungry and exciting, but they still got to defend if they're going to win a Stanley Cup again one day.
1: Absolutely. And I think the Carolina Hurricanes kind of showed them in in, in that regards in the uh, second round. But I'm going to put you on the spot. Which cup has the most meaning to you? Because in 1995, that was the first ever cup in franchise history. In 2000, you guys came back down three to one to the Flyers in the conference finals. Also, that was Patrick Elias' uh, first Stanley Cup. And then 2003, you had your storybook ending, which was Uh, during the Stanley Cup you were a healthy scratch for the most part but then you were given the nod to start in game seven you guys ended up winning and that was your final year uh, of playing in the NHL so uh, I know it's a little uh, difficult of a question but I just wanted to ask you like uh, when you look back at those three Stanley Cups which one resonates with you the most
0: all five guys for in the Devils organization that were on those three Stanley Cups, our core was Stevens and Nita and Brodeur and Sergey Breland and myself will get asked that question a ton. For me, uh, I, I give the same answer. They all had a different meaning. They all meant uh, just as much. Winning was everything. That's all we cared about. That's all I cared about. That's all the core group and got, most of our teams cared about. We'd sacrifice whatever it took to win a Stanley Cup that's uh, you know championships that's what we believed in any good team that's their mindset I know it sounds sounds redundant sounds simple simplistic but not everybody buys in And you have to have more players to buy in uh, to, to win the ultimate goal so 95 I was a dream come true we came so close to 94 and your first cup a lot of people say well that had to be the most exciting. It was a. It was. It was a great team. I loved that team and the guys, because um, of the character on that club. But it was a whirlwind of a party. I. I you know everything. You celebrate. You, you loved it. It's your first Stanley Cup. I loved it for the fans because you know we finally became something in New Jersey. That meant the world uh, to me, to the state, uh, and hockey grew because of it. More kids started to play for sure. And it really grew the game, which was important. But, uh, uh, you know, as far as the second one, I I really absorbed it more, what it took, the sacrifice, uh, the hard work, the blood, sweat, and tears, uh, how you, you play together as a team and teammates. All those things really sunk in winning the second time around. And, look, a lot of players don't even win one, even that have had great careers or long careers. So... To win it the second time uh, was pretty amazing. That team was remarkable, probably our most skilled team. That team was loaded, stacked, every which way, defensively, offensively. Obviously, we had the great Marty Broder in that as well for all those years, so that certainly um, gave us some consistency uh, every night, knowing we had a chance to win with one of the greatest goaltenders of all time. But that that second one I really absorbed. And then the third one, you know, a different, little different from the standpoint that you, every athlete's dream to go out on top. Not many do. And and for me, you understand where your career's at. You you get, uh, I was 39 years old already. I played 20 years uh, in the organization. Um, you, your role's going to change. It, it's going to diminish. Young guys uh, come in and and uh, push for jobs and everything. So I knew I was getting near the end of my career, but as soon as we won the Stanley Cup and I got back in games. So and I played 13 games, that year in the playoffs, that was plenty, I didn't even, um, you know, think I was going to get in that that last game, and I was so grateful, I did, and the late Pat Burns had decided he wanted a little emotion in the game, game seven's a coin toss, and he knew the fans would be fired up uh, because of my rapport with them over the years, and, you know, had surprised me, and and told me, I'm I'm going to be playing game seven, and I was a little bit shocked, but uh it was great because it was my last game and so all of them like I said Trey had a different different feel different meaning but uh I knew my career was over then I was going can't get any better than this um that's it so I'm not going to rank one ahead of the other I'm going to say they all just had a really different meaning for me anyway
1: well, how meaningful was it to see your number hung at the Prudential Center next to some of your noble teammates like Martin Brodeur, who's arguably uh, one of the greatest goalies to ever play the game, Scott Stevens, who was also a, a game changer, and next to your guys is, um, your jersey numbers are the championship banners because, in the words of the late great Kobe Bryant, friends can come and go, but banners are forever. <laughs> Yeah, I and
0: mean, the old saying—they'll they'll never take that away from you. You're a champion, and and you accomplished it. It's all about team, and and I'm fortunate to have some great, great teammates uh, along the way. And and I under, like I said, we talked at the start of this. I understood my role. I mean, we had Hall of Famer and, and what I was going to do or try to do to help our team win in any capacity. And and then we had the Hall of Famers. I, I mentioned Marty. I mean, yeah, when you have a goaltender. You know who's going to be in your net for for all those years, and not worry about uh, uh, you know him stopping the puck. He was always going to make the big save at the right time. And um, then you have Stevens and Niedermayer. You know, first ballot Hall of Famers. I mean, that was our core. And, and obviously, Sturgis Breland was a three-time Cup champion. But and, and you mentioned the number being retired. Look to me, the the three banners. Uh, of winning Stanley Cup championships, those are the most important to me. That's that's all that matter to me. I love to win. I hated to lose. That's it. That's the bottom line. But it shows me. Look, uh, loyalty, integrity shows players coming into the organization that you you work hard. You give your heart and soul to a team to an organization. Good things can. Be bestowed upon you, and for me to get my jersey retired uh, right after Scott Stevens in 2006, the first two to go up, and mine was I think four or five weeks afterwards. I mean, was an honor because at times it's not always just about numbers being retired. I'll always say this is not about just how skilled you are, it's about what you bring to the organization, what you bring to the fans, the dedication. And, and I, I know that I'm realistic where, where I was at. And yeah, I played a lot of hockey for the New Jersey Devils, uh, all those games and a long career. But I, of course, you don't think your number is going to be retired. So that when I got that call that they're going to retire my number, I, I was overwhelmed, uh, extremely happy, obviously, but it's, it's uh, surreal really. But like I said, nothing's, nothing can outdo the three Stanley cup banners and three Stanley cup championships. That's what it was all about to me. But I'm honored. I'm humbled. No question about it. To be up to next to these greats, uh, the Broders, the Stevens, the Eliash's, who just, uh, uh, Niedermeyer, who who's one of my faves, if not my favorite, just a, so gifted. It's kind of pretty surreal, like I said, because those guys, um, all Hall of Famers, and I hope Patrick is one day.
1: Yeah, we're we're uh, keeping our fingers crossed for Eliash to one day be elected to the Hall of Fame. Okay, last few questions, and I had some of my fans uh, reach out, and uh, someone wants to know what is your favorite band of all time?
0: Favorite band? Yes. Oh wow, I'm an '80s guy, so it's hard to pick one. But Journey, love Journey and the heyday, they're right there. You too in the 80s i used to love i like a variety of music i used to joke because you know uh, on the way to games at times i would listen to the bgs to get me fired up like staying alive, stayin alive that song and i didn't tell people after my career i did <laughs> I, I, i'm going i didn't want to wreck my rough and tumble reputation but it used to get me fired up but they were so good beautiful voices and everything and now that my son graduated the berkeley college of music uh and he's a singer uh, i know a little more about it but but for me a uh, big 80s guy and those just to name a few uh, were some of the bands i liked i could go on foreigner uh, sticks you name it those are the bands i liked way back then and, and i like everything now i, I like a, a variety of music or certain songs
1: Did you guys ever like request to like the uh, production staff to play this song during warmups or play this song at at this certain aspect of the game? Like, did you guys really care about like uh, the the music that was blaring out as you guys were playing?
0: Well, I didn't, I didn't really uh, pay attention to that. I mean, obviously some guys did and maybe some players had mentioned, but Lou ran a tight ship. So I'm sure he was the guy that picked uh, Lou Lamorello. That is picked the uh, the team that picked the music that was on the ice during warmups in the dressing room. We always had certain guys that were in control of the music. Uh, all I know is uh, when they put Bobby Holik in control, I think one time in the nineties, uh, it was taken out of his hands pretty quick because guys didn't like it, his choice of music. Um, that's all I remember. But in the room, yeah, I, you wanted music to get you pumped up. Like, You would have thought thought a a mild-mannered guy like Scott Niedemeyer who was, you know, just a class act and such a a gentleman besides being an all-world player. He loved heavy metal. That's what got him going. He wanted heavy metal in the dressing room. So everybody uh, to each their own, but usually somebody took over. That wasn't me in the dressing room. Whatever music they played, I was so zoned in and crazy before games that uh, whatever they played, they played.
1: All right. Uh, What do you think the next step for a defenseman like Kevin Ball is this uh, upcoming season after losing someone like Ryan Graves? Someone wants to know, like, what's next for somebody like uh, Kevin Ball, maybe Luke Hughes, uh, Shimon Mets when that time comes. Just from you as the former player, as a defenseman, asking you as a analyst now.
0: I say about any young defenseman, any young player, it doesn't matter the position you play, is consistency. Can you do it eight out of 10 games? Can you be have eight real good games out of 10? You're not going to be perfect. Everybody makes mistakes. That's part of the game. Uh, I mean, I know we we were so emotional, including myself, watching the games, calling the games. I'm so passionate about it, and the fans. We get on players for having a tough night. Man, uh, thank God there wasn't social media in my day because I had a lot of tough nights, but you just try to, uh, shake that off, and and that's the hardest thing to do. I think for tough defensemen, don't let it, don't let it um, snowball and, and have a bad week or a month. You know, you have a bad night, shake it off, put it in the rearview mirror, and, and get right back to being solid. So it's consistency. He's big; they're going to need his physicality. He showed that um, in in the playoffs against the Rangers, where I thought he played a physical, robust style and just be a good, solid defenseman more penalty killing time he's going to get with Severson certainly, or or Graves uh, certainly gone as well as Damon Severson. That's part of it. That's in a cap world. You just can't keep everybody. And uh, the young guys have to get an opportunity. You can't just set your lineup with all veterans. That's what makes your organization better. The Devils are one of the better um, prospects in the national uh, prospect groups in the national hockey league. We know that Luke Hughes, I think can have an impact right away. And, uh, the few games in the playoffs looked no further than game five, the tough overtime loss where he played 25 minutes and man, he looked good. So I, I, I think he can be a real impact, different type of defenseman. The way the game's gone, you need puck moves. You need a guy that can skate like him. You know, he reminds me uh, in the mold of a Scott Niedermeyer. I don't like to put comparisons or projections on players, but the game, he skates effortless and, and it's just beautiful to watch. Uh, I've gone with the times. I love that. uh, Watching Luke Hughes play and obviously pretty good pedigree with his brother Quinn. And, and we all know what Jack Hughes did last year and what uh, our superstar of, of the team is capable of, and he's going to continue to grow. Uh, But, and Nemitz, you know, he's going to have to earn his spot. He played terrific in Utica last year, in particular, the second half of the year, he's going to be a good two way defenseman, the number two overall pick. So, I hope he can crack the lineup. Are they going to go through growing pains of float? Of course. They're kids. They're young. But I expect a lot from Kevin Ball I expect the consistency, the physicality with regularity. Just be a good, solid defenseman. He's 6'6". He's got a great reach. He's tough to get around. Um, just be a solid, a solid guy in your zone and, and uh, bring that to physicality. Uh, I I think uh, we're going to see a lot from him this year and he's excited about it because he's going to get a little more opportunity with some of the veterans moving on like Graves, like Severson. And like I said, they were, they did a terrific job here in New Jersey, but you just can't keep everybody in today's uh, salary cap world.
1: All right. Last couple of questions. Other than the Stanley cup, what was your favorite memory as a player?
0: Oh, so many great memories. I mean, everything. Playing my first game in Madison Square Garden, 1983, a dream come true. Told my mother 10 times a day, I'm going to play in the National Hockey League since I was seven years old. And to fulfill that dream and my mother couldn't believe it. And she flew out. Um, God rest her soul. She didn't like big cities. She flew out, flew back. So I don't care if he plays another game. If he didn't tell me once, he told me 10 times a day. And, She used to pacify me and say, yeah, yeah, yeah," but she knew how difficult it was because there's 10 Ken Danicles in every corner. So for the Devils to draft me, to give me that opportunity, uh, that was an amazing moment, playing my first game. 1988, the game in Chicago. I think I brought it up during, during our chat here to make the playoffs for the first time to kind of do a 360 where we came from, winning 17 games a year. Uh, the first few seasons uh, here in New Jersey to finally making the playoffs, to winning a couple rounds, to going seven games in the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, that was as special as it gets uh, uh, for us. And if you saw us celebrate, I've seen it many times. We celebrated like we won the cup. We we didn't know any better. We were so pumped just to get a chance to play, like I said, meaningful games. So those are, are, are two of the memorable moments, certainly. There, there's just so many, Trey. Obviously, you would mentioned and you said other than the Stanley Cups, there was, it was all about winning for me, and that was as memorable as ever. Um, my last game, the fans, just celebrating with the fans. I know it was the Stanley Cup and you asked me not to win a cup, but just the rapport I had with the fans, what they meant to me, the support they gave me through thick and thin, on and off the ice, all that was running through my mind and in my body, Uh, After I knew this is it, I'm going out on top and, you know, I made sure I banged every pane of glass around the rink to thank, (laughs) to thank the fans in every, every corner for, for the support. They gave the team and, and certainly gave me throughout my career.
1: All right. Last question. So we know what the team was like on the rink, but I want to get your perspective as to how things were ran in the front office, because, now we got Tom Fitzgerald and a lot of people are loving what he's been doing, but you had the chance to play under Lou Lamorello. And I had the chance to speak with Cam Jensen uh, last year. And he always said that Lou, he was always strict, but fair. So like he, he cam told stories about how Lou always had his back during struck during the struggles, but was not afraid to tell it as it is. So uh, being a former player and playing within the organization of Lou LaMarello, I would like to hear your perspective as to how Lou was as a general manager.
0: Well, I think that's a fair assessment. What Cam said—he
1: <laughs> was disciplined,
0: he was hard-nosed. He, you know, as soon as Lou came in, he was an unknown coming from Providence originally, but certain people have leadership. They don't have to say a word. He just commanded respect right away. You can see he was all business, uh, and you didn't want to cross him, for sure. And that's uh, kind of what Lou was. But uh, probably the most loyal man I've ever met. Um, he Cam's right. Again, he had your back. He certainly had my back. Nobody... Nobody had more meetings, I'm sure, throughout their career than I did with Lou Lamorello in his office. Good, bad, and indifferent, because everybody knows I wore my emotion on my sleeve. I was a little bit of a wild child on and off the ice. That was me. I was go, go, go. The switch was never turned off, and Lou was tough on me, rightfully so. He had to be sometimes. But, uh, again, he was all about winning. He wanted to get the best out of you. Uh, yes, he was disciplined, but I will tell you, um, people think that if you did something wrong or off the cuffs. no, if he believed you were a big part of this team in winning, he would put up with, that's what I love, because he probably shouldn't have for a lot of, a lot of the times, he, with me anyway, he put up with, uh, and, and would guide you through the difficult times. Uh, whatever it may be, because if he believed in you and was loyal and he certainly believed in me and, and always had my back. Um, but uh, uh, you know big reason why we won three Stanley Cup championships was Lou Lamoriello because he knew what it took to win. He commanded respect. he, he had rules. Uh, we didn't always agree with them but they uh, you know he had his way and it worked right? I mean you win, that's what it's all about.
1: Awesome, Dano. Where can uh, my listeners and audience find you? We talked basically about everything. I I think they they already know. But- oh,
0: first off, I I, I want to finish that. I I I was grateful to my great friend, one of my favorite teammates, Scotty Gomez, because he took some of the pressure off me of the Lou meetings because he became the whipping boy and he had more meetings after he came in the league with Lou. Lou was all over gomer to keep him in line so <laughs> I, I had to tell that little funny story so i used to give gomer a big hug and i still love him to this day so thanks gomer you took a little of the pressure off me from from always going to lose office but uh, uh so anyway i had to finish off of that um where can you find me you said
1: yes <laughs> well i think they already know where to find you msg and all that but just uh throwing your plugs like in case anyone wants to keep tabs with, with you uh, throughout the entirety of the season in more ways than one.
0: I don't even know my handles at Ken Anico, MSG on Twitter. <laughs> I'm on Instagram as well. Just Ken Danico. You can find me. Uh, that's, uh, that's where you're following me. More importantly, find me on MSG <laughs> where we're calling our great, our, our teams, our great teams games. And uh, we're hoping that we, we take another step. It was a huge, huge leap from one year to the next for the Devils. Now the expectations are higher. Now teams are going to be prepared for them. So I'm really excited to see what transpires this year. Cautiously optimistic, but it's going to be a lot tougher uh, for this group. But we believe in them, and, and that's where you can catch us. Let's follow this team. Let's root them on. Let's support them because they are a fun, exciting team. And and now they got they got a job to do. they got some work out of them because they're not going to Sneak up on anybody. Everybody knows how talented they are. Everybody knows how fast they are. Uh, last year, I think they caught a few p- teams on, by surprise, but I think this team's ready ready for that.
1: Real quick, um, uh, how does this current Devils team compare to, like, uh, your previous Stanley Cup teams?
0: Well, I think it's built a little bit differently. I mean, obviously, and, and, as the game's grown. And, and I'm a believer you can win – everybody says – I hear the words, I hear the phrase sometimes, it's a copycat league. I don't always necessarily believe that. You, you can win different ways, because if you look at the last two Stanley Cup champions, I think they're kind of polar opposites. There's one common denominator denominator is the will to win, the hunger. Uh, that has to be in your DNA, and that's what the Vegas Golden Knights had. They're, Vegas Golden Knights to me were a carbon copy of our 95 team. Carbon copy, deep, strong, four lines. That's what our team's had. So that's where more changes, the more it stays the same come playoff time because we know the game's transition to puck possession, skating ability, um, you know, fourth liners chipping in more offensively, all that, where it was more of a defined role in my day. But that Vegas team, you know, they – They were reminding me. I thought I was looking in the mirror of our 95 team who I loved and said had had such respect for as far as the character. That's what Vegas had. Um, uh, The Colorado Avalanche who won the previous year, I think the Devils are more, today's Devils are more built like that team as far as speed, puck possession. Doesn't mean you don't come playoff time. You don't have to be physical. You don't have to be competitive. You got to win puck battles. Of course you can do that because that's why the Avalanche won, but, they didn't let the other team have the puck during their playoff run because they were that fast, that skilled. So uh, if you look at those two teams, they they kind of wanted a little bit differently. Not that Vegas didn't have a ton of talent. They did because Jack Eichel came into his own and they had star power and Mark Stone and guys like that, but they were more depth four lines. That fourth line was, was amazing for them chipping in and the and way they played a heavy brand of hockey. That's why they reminded me of my 95 team. So uh, this team, the Devils team, yeah, their puck possession, their speed, their skill, so you play to your identity. And that's what I think this team uh, needs to do. And, and Fitzgerald's done a terrific job. You're absolutely right. And he will – your team does not have to be set in October. I, I always tell people that, or opening night. I, I see in the offseason, well, we need this, we need that, we got to add this. You don't need your team set. Your team is never the same in October as it is in March. Uh, Fitzy's uh, smart enough and he, he's done a terrific job and he, the rest of his staff to know you make adjustments along the way, how the team's going. what Even if you're going well and you're a playoff team, but what do you need to go for growing rounds and win it all? Maybe you need to add a piece. So those are the things along the way have all the faith and trust in the world with Fitzy. Uh, he'll figure out during the season, but everything doesn't have to be said at the start because by March, your team usually has three or four different players, whether because of injury, whether because of uh, you needed a little little different element to your team. And and like I said, the uh, management for the Devils, uh, you know, have done exactly what they said. They wanted the core group to be 21 to 26, locked them up long-term. Fitzy has accomplished that. He's added veteran guys like the Palats last year, the Toffolis, the Hollas, guys that are, have been in the playoffs, have won championships, uh, certainly with Palat and, that can really lend that experience to these young guys as they grow. The Hughes, Heasher's, Bratz, Mercers, you name it, Luke Hughes, all these young kids that, you know, want to accomplish something together. And, And they're going to learn along the way through these veteran guys. So can't say enough. I kind of rambled on there, but I, you know, Fitzy's done a really good job and I get to talk to him a lot and I love his philosophy. And in today's game, you need a little bit of everything. Uh, not just yes the speed and skill but just a combination of it all because you still got to pull back fitzy played a long time in the national hockey league during my era uh, and what it takes to win it all and that's the next step next goal for this devil's group
1: well thanks for taking the time dano to join me and and give some tremendous insight backstories you name it and we're looking forward to listening to you on air on msg alongside with bill spaulding
0: Thanks for having me, Trey. Yeah, looking forward to October like like the rest of the Devils fans. And yeah, I can't wait for the second year with Bill. He's been such a good luck charm in year one. What a a, a leap uh, from wins and points and where they finished in the standings. So, you know, Bill thinks he's the good luck charm, and maybe he is.
1: <laughs> Timely or untimely coincidences. Thank, yeah. thank you, Ghetto. Take All it right. easy.